Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel, and this is the show where I get to talk about, talk with people, cool people. Well, sometimes they're not cool because they're North Carolina fans, but cool people in the world of sports and in business and everything that happens in between. Today, I have my man, Alex Mazer. He's the COO and co-founder of Uncut, and he's the president and co-founder of the Carolina Sports Administration Club. Alex, how you doing, brother? What's up? What's up, Michael? Really appreciate you having me on. The pleasure is all mine, man. We've had a good couple conversations so far. Uh, I appreciate you hanging out with me. This should be a lot of fun. I'm going to razz you a little bit uh, because the last basketball game I got to watch was when UNC got throttled by Syracuse, if I'm not mistaken. So that was a lot of fun. But until then, we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. Alex, the first yeah, question. We'll get there. We'll get there. Don't worry. I promise. <laughs> the first question I have for everybody, Alex, on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much? Yeah, um, I think we're seeing it right now, how important sports is to a community um, with it being removed for probably the first time um, in a lot of people's lives. For me, it's always been the community aspect and sports is unique ability to bring people together because with any kind of community, you have a level of power because there's power in numbers. And I think sports has a very special way of breaking down those divides. And I think that might be the toughest thing about COVID or one of the toughest things, especially for sports fans. Usually we have sports to bring us through those tough times, uh, social issues, unrest. And here it's that exact cause that's pulling sports away from us. Um, so for me, that was always the what I gravitated towards, both as an, a former athlete, um, not good enough to continue to the college ranks, but now trying to take it from a different angle. I love it, man. And yeah, it's it's definitely... It's difficult, right? Like, especially now, it's just kind of, I mean, it's not haha funny, but the fact that the number one thing that I see people talking about still during all this is sports, right? It's it's when is it coming back? What are we going to do? How is it going to happen? All that stuff. So it's really interesting to see that. And I'm, you know, very grateful for it because I think that part is pretty, pretty important. So moving it's on finally here yeah it's finally, finally here. here yes tomorrow uh <laughs> tomorrow the yankees play and then on friday we got we got my mets i think friday is is about four until one o'clock in the morning and i'm gonna try and watch as much baseball as i can i'm so I'm excited for it. And then we get you. basketball um only you know a couple days later and we get hockey only a couple days later after that and then there's that one incredible day i want to say august 1st that it's just going to be off the wall baseball basketball hockey literally all day long and i'm i don't know what day of the week that is but i know i'm not working very much that day for good reason of course sports folks can't wait exactly (laughs) exactly dude i love it so with um with everything that you're rocking with as you said like the fact that sports bring people together and there's that community aspect you just told me that cool little story about you know instagram back in the day before it was what it is and how you were able to create a a Mets or I'm sorry, a Brooklyn Nets fan page. Uh, tell me, tell me a little bit about that story. And I guess, you know, it's what, what 12 year old Alex was thinking when he was like, Hey, I like the Nets. Let me post some stuff up on the internet. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, guess like any 12 year old kid, I didn't really know what I was doing. I still don't really know what I'm doing now, but uh, even more so then, and I was just playing around Instagram had just gotten started. Um, it was like that summer when people were still using the, the filters that are actually provided by Instagram um, back in those days. And just, Taking pictures off Google Images, didn't really have much thought behind it, made a fan page for the Brooklyn Nets. I'd say within a few months, I had about a thousand followers, and I had friends, family tell me you might have something here. I didn't think so. Um, but I trusted them, went off a whim, and started learning Photoshop, Adobe, um, kind of building up my own skill set to produce better content. And I was writing, like on the bus rides to school at lunch, I was writing up, you know, basically full out game previews. I think I was, I like calculated them at like a thousand words, like actually, you know, putting in the time and the effort. Um, You know, I would leave class every time my phone vibrated to go try to report the news or do my best way of being my own little ESPN on Instagram. Um, That started taking off. I was, I got to about 30,000 followers, which now doesn't seem like much considering, you know, every six year old kid has, or dog has about 50,000. But at the, yeah, yeah. But at the time, that was the, I had 30,000, the team had about 60,000. Um, so in terms of Instagram picking up, it was a pretty popular account. It was really, really cool to run it and just be in the center of that community to some degree and facilitate that dialogue. Um, and then ultimately turn that into a business, which was my first real go at sports business or really business in general. Mind you, I was about 13 at the time, um, selling t-shirts and also similar to what we see right now in the MLB with the the seven line, the Mets, the seven line army. 
would work with the Nets and there you go, we'll shout for you. We would work with the Mets, I started with the Nets and uh, basically take out a section of the Barclays Center, called to the Brooklyn Brigade. Everyone's in there wearing one t-shirt so you could see it from the, you know, from TV. You have that one section that's one color, everyone in banners going crazy and bring a sense of community. And I think that is when I really saw to that, to my former point about the idea of community that sports can bring out. I saw it with my own eyes. Uh, how special those moments that you can create for fans of any ages just bring people together. Yeah, and it's really cool that you got to do that, right? It's not like you joined a community, which is always fun, right? We're humans, we're social creatures. We want to be around people that we like and that are like us. But the fact that you were able to create and cultivate that community and then nurture it to get bigger and bigger and bigger, I think that even especially at a young age, it's going to have a huge impact on your life and essentially what you're going to want to do. Obviously, you love sports the whole time, but... Now you can see what sports can do and, and how it can affect so many other people. And I think that that part is just so freaking cool that you were able to do that on your own and over time be able to build it up. And now we know the NBA back then isn't quite what it was today. So unfortunately, I was actually I was just on my phone trying to look for it. Then I realized you said you kind of uh, it's probably not there anymore. So unfortunately, um, I'll have to get that handle from you later. Hopefully you're doing something with it. You have 30K followers. You could do something with that at this point. But We'll get yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything, anything good? Uh, nothing really there, there, but I mean, one one thing I do want to add that I think was the most interesting and uh, pivotal moment for me outside of all that was, you know, I think what I learned so much from that digital age is the idea that it just like it creates a meritocracy. No one that, you know, was following my account knew that I was 12, 13 at the time yep. in seventh grade world history. Um, so I kind of hid behind that screen and really just got judged off my work. And what was funny is that, so when, when we started having meetings with the Nets, I did similar to like what, um, the, I think it was the founder of Under Armour did where he like acted like he was a, his lower level employee, but instead my brother-in-law actually went on my behalf, made him my COO. Um, and he went into the meetings and I would write the emails in the background. So I didn't have my own business cards. I made them for him and he was super generous that he was willing to, you know, help out in that capacity. But I mean, for me, it was a little satisfying um, to see the shock on people's faces when I met them at games that like, you know, the person behind us is 13 and a little yeah. kid. Um, but it was also, it, it was a really big motivator for me that I could do whatever I, you know, personally was capable of doing. Age was not really a factor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially in the, as you said, the digital meritocracy, like the internet is whatever you want it to be, whatever exactly. you want to make of it, like it's it's all yours. It's You can hide behind something, as you said, or you can be forward facing, whatever, however it works. Have your brother-in-law, I think you said, do all that <laughs> stuff, which is yeah, awesome. Yeah. Shout out to him for helping you out. But I think that is is so cool, man. And it's a huge chunk of the story that I think is is going to continue throughout this conversation on kind of the, the community aspect and what it led to. But also I know, as you said, you know, you also worked for Fansided and SB Nation in, in a couple different capacities, covering the Yankees as well as covering Stanford athletics. So we'll get to how the heck you started covering, you know, two sides of the country a little bit, but you were able to utilize what you did through that Brooklyn brigade through the nets and were able to like parlay that into other jobs and other opportunities, which I'm sure again, we'll, we'll continue to talk about. So tell us a little bit about your time at Fanside and SB nation. Like I've no, I know there's a lot of positives. I know there's a lot of negatives. If you read some stories on the internet. So I guess your personal experience and, and obviously the two different companies, but they have that similar kind of, um, like fan created fan made kind of experience and you know, their competitors, what were your experiences like at Fanside and SB nation trying to make a name for yourself? within these two brands? Yeah, for me, I think it was really crucial in terms of helping me as a writer. So like you said, I basically took what I did at Brooklyn Nets Fan Club and parlayed that into something that I would send out to editors at Fansided um, and SB Nation. I just did this freelance, you know, as a volunteer. For me as a student, this was me kind of building up my portfolio and my skills as a writer. So Yankees, I'm, I've always been a diehard fan. Stanford was interesting because so my brother, I come from a gymnastics family and he was thinking about going to Stanford. That was the first campus I ever visited. So love at first sight. That's where I wanted to go. And I thought maybe this is a cool way to use as like a college admissions thing. You know, my love of sports. And then I could also demonstrate an interest right there. Um, and that's the way I saw it. And I mean, I also ran track in high school. So I did a lot of track coverage and gymnastics coverage for Stanford, two sports that didn't really get a lot of coverage on SP Nation. So filling in a gap. Um, my experience there was great. I mean, I, it was, like I said, a lot more freelance and a lot more personal because I was working remote. I didn't have the chance to, you know, 
be a part of that community that they did form. But I think on a personal level, it helped me tremendously uh, in terms of where I am now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's very important for both of them. As you said, it's helped with their writing. And, and it also, I, I don't know if this was, you know, was the idea to fill in that gap? Did you did you realize you were filling in a gap or did you just say, hey, you know, I come from a gymnastics family and I run track. So those that's what I want to write about. Or was it, hey, I do like those, but at the same time, I don't see any coverage here. Maybe this is how I can kind of, you know, squeak my way in the door a little bit more. I think it was more guided about my interests. And then I realized I was filling a gap. Um, I think that was the, the idea of filling a gap more so validated that choice um, than drove it. Yeah, but I think this the the awareness of it. Once you realized it, mm-hmm. then you can be like, okay, how else can I start to fill gaps? Exactly. Somewhere else can I start to do things? So I still think that's a really really cool part. And again, you got to get get a little passion out, as you said. You run track. Um, your brother does does gymnastics. What do you? He did. Do? Yeah. But is it does gymnastics play gym? I, I don't know what that. Verb I think is. it's. I think it's does. I think it does. does. It, okay. Yeah. Same thing. I think it's like runs track as opposed to like plays track. It's yeah. Every sport's got something different. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. It is what it is, though. But I still think that's a really cool portion of your career, you know, spending a few years at these freelance and understanding like how time management, I'm sure that was very involved, especially being in where you you're in high school at the time, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. And understanding how that works out. Now, unfortunately, you didn't go to Stanford. You went to UNC, which ugh, sorry to hear that, man. It is what it <laughs> is. But you've done some pretty cool stuff there. Um, as some of the people listening know, I bring up as much as I possibly can. And I'm a very big Duke fan. Um, and I, I love it. It's always a blast. And yes, thank you again. Last game of the season that Duke won. Beat the heck out of North Carolina. The last basketball game I got to watch of the season. North Carolina lost by like 35 points or whatever it is. So those are my shots for the day. Um, but tell me a little bit about, so as we said, you're the president and co-founder of the Carolina Sports Administration Club. A little bit of a mouthful, but it sounds like it's a lot of fun. What, what, Where does this idea come from? Like, what is it and where does the idea come from? Yeah, so the Carolina Sport Administration Club, it's a, so UNC has a sport administration department um, as an entire major within their exercise and sports science department. And what I realized there was there's a ton of fantastic, fantastic resources, great professors, so much there. Um, but there isn't anything really organized to bring it all together. Um, and a lot of this was really motivated motivated by professors that came to me um, within my first few months on campus. They realized that I was going to, I was someone that really wanted to take initiative and have a leadership role on campus. And they had this idea for a little while, and, you know, deciding who might be the person or who might be the group to really start it. So what we do is we try to create those intimate, whether it's networking opportunities, um, you know, learning opportunities outside the classroom to help complement what people are inside the classroom. So for us, right before we got sent home in quarantine, we actually went to uh, Washington, D.C. for a two-day overnight um, professional development trip where we had stops at the Washington Nationals, uh, Tandem Sports and Entertainment, the sports agency. Then we went to the U.S. Sports Diplomacy Department, which was really interesting because I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, but they do a lot of really, really cool nonprofit government work there. Uh, we went to Monumental Sports and Entertainment. So it was a, a jam-packed uh, two days, really good opportunity to connect with UNC alum that are in the industry all around and kind of build a family atmosphere while I'm on, cam- while I'm on campus. That is so cool, man. I, I just think that the opportunity that you have through that, I mean, that again, opened your eyes so much more. I mean, you've had some of these experiences along the way that have been able to really just blow open, you know, your idea and your eyes. So with with this, was that trip, I mean, you being the co-founder and uh, what did we say, president? I mean, how much of that is you planning all of this? How much of that is you doing all this versus, you know, you just kind of like, it, they're like, hey, we're doing this. Like, how, how, do, how does that process work? And how do you take the initiative to start 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 something like that? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it starts with a team and I could have maybe a few connections and, you know, I could maybe get the ball rolling, but we would have nothing if we didn't have, like I said, the fantastic faculty, really engaged faculty, you know, my other um, executive board members who do a great job in terms of the planning and then any personal connections that they may have. But I mean, I think they say Carolina family for a reason. Um, I don't know what Duke's got over there, but it's when you mentioned that you're a Carolina grad, they come back and they talk to you. So it's it's not very tough to to get Carolina people all together again once you kind of just make that reach. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm sure, I mean, there's uh so I, I personally went to Rutgers. I don't really know how much of a family we had there. <laughs> just grew up a Duke fan. I, I needed some sort of college basketball in my life and thankfully I get it there. So with, with that, I mean, how over these last couple of years, uh, you know, obviously this trip on its own sounds incredible, but what are some of the other successes? What are some of the other stories that you have personally got from this, or you have been able to help others experience and, and, you know, whether it's, you know, going to Monumental, realizing what that opportunity looks like and getting that job, like what are some of the things that have come from for you and also for others around you? Yeah, um, I think for me, this is a full circle moment. So right when I got on campus, uh, Wasserman was the lead for this, but they put on a the Carolina Sports and Entertainment Summit. And basically it was started by the Carolina Sports Business Club, which is a different club than the NBA version of that on campus where they really just brought back Carolina alum in sports and entertainment to speak to students a full day and a half of uh, just networking panels and the like. And that was my first opportunity to really see sports business in action um, and to see that it's real and that it's possible and that these people actually want to talk to you. Um, so it was so eye-opening for me. And I, I've always been someone that's maybe overly ambitious at times that I would just walk up to people and shoot my shot. But looking back, I had no idea what I was saying. And I didn't know anything. So I don't know what was coming out of my mouth. Um, I, you know, went into those conversations and I left disappointed because I thought I could do way better and like engage them better than I actually did. And for me, I hated that feeling of like knowing that these are fantastic opportunities. I really wanted to seize them. And I just don't think I did to my, to the high standards that I set for myself. So, but that was actually where I met my co-founder for uh, Luke Buxton for a nonprofit I started on campus called Uncut. And that was also like the, the founding moment of Uncut. And then the following year, the Carolina Sport Admin Club, which, you know, I helped co-found, we were one of the leading organizing groups for that summit for the for the second year of the summit. And then we actually had a panel for Uncut at the summit. So one, getting to, to sit in that audience and be just in awe of these uh, professionals and what they're doing in the field to then the next year being on that stage and having them listen to me and then come up to me. Like, it felt surreal. Um, to just be at that point within one year. But I think that goes to so many of the little interactions along the way in that one year, just, you know, meeting new people, having those experiences, um, having those conversations, just asking the right questions to get the right answers. I think it's so cool, man. And just, you know, taking advantage of that situation. There's so many people that wouldn't go that extra, like five miles, it seems like you did. And, and really just take advantage and understanding what the opportunity is and and how you can utilize it right like you understood hey man i totally agree shoot or shoot but if you know a little bit more when you're going to that situation exactly your shot has a better chance of going in it's more of a layup <laughs> than you know half court you know and just like pray and heave kind of thing so it's really great again that self-awareness comes back up i feel like that's going to be a theme throughout as it's already been and and with with something like this like when you walk into these conversations you know we'll, we'll get to uncut in a second but like, what is like your confidence level even before you realize like, hey, maybe if I kind of figured out who the hell I was talking to, it would be a little bit better. Like, what is the confidence level like, especially knowing the stuff that you've done up to this point while you're 18, 19, 20 years old and you're already like, hey, I did this, this, this and this. Like, how how is that where the shooter shoot mentality comes from? Is Is that where that strut comes from? Just walking up and just being like, I'm Alex. This is me. Like, let's go. Like, where where does that? moxie that's a fun word where does that come from um i mean if it if there is that moxie then i'm doing a good job showing it because i think like most people i still i still get those butterflies i'm still coming into these conversations super nervous i mean uh my coffee before it have a little jam session of like some hype songs of probably listen to my gym playlist or my running playlist right before a, like a informational interview um and try to hype myself up to whatever boost up that confidence but i think for me it's I try to, like you said, prepare myself as much as I can um, so that I can come in with one actual questions because I, I don't, I personally don't want to have a conversation with someone unless I know what I want to ask up front and you know, have specific questions because one, I don't want to waste their time and then I don't want to waste my time either. Um, so I want to be really, really intentional about it and show them that I did put in the time to, you know, whether it's learn about them or learn about what they do and also to a degree kind of work my way up that ladder. I think what I found that has been super helpful is if I want to, you know, get in touch with someone that's a higher level executive, might not be best to just shoot my shot, maybe, you know, climb up that ladder, start getting to know maybe the people that intern with that person, then, you know, a, you know, see an associate at that company and kind of walk up that ladder a little bit um, to one, 
build up a relationship, build up a connection, um, and then also having other talking points. It makes it a lot more personable when you're kind of in that circle. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And and I totally, totally understand where you're coming from with that. You know, asking questions. I mean, obviously, I have some questions written down here. <laughs> I kind of like you know the the discovery, the the curiosity aspect of just being like, whoa, wait a second, let's talk more about that. That's always really fun to me. Um, but obviously, this is a little bit of a different situation than uh, walking to someone up at a conference or something. So <laughs> I think that's pretty cool. And then with with that conference, with all you know, the things that you've been able to do with the uh, the sports administration club, where how how was so what what you are a junior? You're a senior. Yeah, I'm a rising junior right now. What is rise? Does that mean you're going to be a junior? Yes. So okay, in the fall. Cool, cool, cool. Okay. Cool. 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 So like, what what does you know? So you've been doing this for two years and you've accomplished a lot. Now, obviously, we're in this weird, you know, pandemic. I don't know if you're going back to school or if you're not, or they wait until winter. Like, how are you going to take advantage of this time virtually? That I've seen some people kind of screw it up, and then I've seen some other people who I've had on this show, thankfully, that have just blown it out of the water. Not saying you have to be either of those, but like, what are you trying to do to understand the landscape of, hey, this is what we can do virtually, and then trying to push that forward to again. You're not obviously going to give the same kind of experience, but you can give something. So what are you trying to plan for for the fall semester, I guess, with um, with everything that's going on? Yeah. So, I mean, thank you for the kind words, um, especially like for the fall. It's going to be so interesting. I think the only thing we're certain about is that there is so much uncertainty. I mean, I'm scheduled to come back to campus on August 4th and I'm ready to cancel my flight on a moment's notice because I'm ready for them to just switch things up. So what we've been doing is the toughest thing, especially with on-campus events is that you're not, you know, they're not giving public space away to, to campus organizations. They're trying to limit as much traffic as possible. So how can we be creative within those confines? Some things that we've talked about is, I mean, I think personally, there's an oversaturation of Zoom webinars out there um, that people just don't know how to sift through. So how can we create a silicon, intimate, personalized experience? So Carolina Sport Administration Club is one clear example where, you know, maybe we can leverage that alumni network. We've always talked about building out a mentorship program that's one-on-one, using this time to take advantage of that, um, using this time to maybe hook people up for 30-minute Zoom calls and kind of have conversations like we're having now, where it's more of a one-on-one where you're going to get more out of it. And then to the degree that we can, having this small like webinar type setup where at least it's more interactive and discussion based. So it's not as much, you know, you're sitting there, your camera's off and you're just listening, probably in bed. Yeah, probably in bed. Hopefully at least just in bed. Um, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah there, there is a, I, I totally agree, man. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of the, like the virtual conferences. Some of those are great and some of the information is awesome, but I don't know, there's something about the energy, you know, big on energy and big on being in places. So it's been really weird for me personally, but at least I've been able to do a lot of these, which has been a lot of fun. And these one-on-one conversations are always my favorite because I love asking people questions. So I appreciate you letting me do my favorite thing. Um, and my brain's working again today, which is nice. Yesterday wasn't that great. So it kind of worked out for me. But so so with that and understanding what's coming and, and how you're doing, and you know, kudos to you for building it. And I'm so excited to see what happens. And hopefully... Senior year, like I'll be honest, it's July twenty second. I don't I, like flights probably getting canceled. Hopefully it isn't. <laughs> Hopefully you know the world miraculously fixes it for us. Like, like two weeks. But I'm gonna have to assume you're probably not gonna be down there. But it's still gonna be awesome. And then moving forward, it's still gonna be fantastic. Do you have a website that you could share with everybody for the administration club? Any any UNC fans out there that are listening? Sure. So I can share our Instagram and then you can okay, cool. get things from there. So it's at UNC underscore CSPAC. So UNC underscore CSPAC. Love it. Awesome. I'll also make sure to grab that. It'll be in the show notes. Um, just send me that at the end of the interview and I'll, I'll pop it down there so everyone can check it out on YouTube. If they're watching there or if they're checking out the podcast, Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review. Let's go. Um, so with that, that's seems like it takes up a lot of your time. Um, but now we have the whole other aspect is actually the thing that i'm even more interested in which i think is really cool so going to uncut which again looking at it the first time didn't really get it looking at it the second time i finally figured it out uncut unc we get there it. we go there fun. we go very cute play on words <laughs> i do love it so tell us this was what we really spoke about when you and i we had our pre-interview conversation this is really what the bulk of the conversation was about because it's you know doing a lot of media with student athletes which i think is a very underutilized underserved market 
I mean, you're at a huge basketball school. We'll see. Maybe Mac Brown. I don't know. I'm Sam Howell. That dude is that recruiting not, class. Yeah, dude, that'll be fun. So we'll see what happens there. Um, you know, we'll see what happens this year, of course. Maybe next yeah. year is another story. But tell us a little bit about Uncut. Again, where did this idea come from and what exactly is it? Sure. So the idea started out, like I said, at that Carolina Sport, uh, Sport and Entertainment Summit. That's where I met my original co-founder. But really what we are is we are a student-athlete storytelling platform that gives student-athletes the chance to talk about things outside of athletics. Too many times we see student-athletes at a, you know, right after a game, say it's 10 o'clock, you just missed the, the game-winning shot. They're asking all these questions. There's so much pressure on you. They don't think that you have to go home, study for a test, do homework, and then wake up for an 8 a.m. I know the video that scrolled around after Luke May had that huge hey, shot. Get the hell yeah, out of here, yeah, dude. Yeah. Oh, what a, what a showed, champion. He showed yeah, up to his yeah. accounting class at 8 a.m. the next morning. But, you know, when you're in the NBA, you don't have accounting class that next morning. So, I mean, that's one small example of the many pressures that student athletes do face kind of with that dual identity. And so many athletes have so many things about them that are special outside of just those two components. And what we try to do is humanize them. How we go about that is through first-person storytelling. So we have uh, something called Tar Heel Talks, where we go to a popular restaurant at Chapel Hill called Sutton's. And we have a roundtable discussion of four athletes, unfiltered. So once we start the camera, that's it. You know, we don't know what we're going to get. We may try to, like, you know, pick a topic generally, but it is driven by them 100%. Then we have something called Beyond the Jersey, which is focusing on one athlete and kind of a story around them. So an interesting thing we did was we had uh, a safety on the football team, Tomon Fox, who is a tattoo designer, being interviewed by two of his teammates who he actually designed their tattoos that he has, that they have inked on them. So, I mean, talk about the, the bond that you must have with someone to trust that you know their imagery is going to stay on you for the rest of their lives. Um, so really powerful stories like that. And what we've seen, so we also have a, a podcast that we started focusing on uh, women in college sports and just women's empowerment called Bench, which is led by Juliana Makia, who is a uh, rower on the women's team at UNC. And then what has been super surprising for us, and it was more of like a pipeline idea that turned into a massive, uh, you know, our, our biggest driver of viewership is called Clean Slate, which is like the Players' Tribune, where it's first-person storytelling and it's written by these athletes where... I think more than anything else, we've seen the outpouring of emotion from athletes uh, because, you know, they're thinking about this stuff 24-7. You can't stop it. And it's their first time really putting their pen to paper. And what we do is, you know, we help craft maybe the syntax addiction a little bit, but it's 99.9% written by them. And that's what makes it so powerful. And I'm just writing the four of those down because I want to talk about each of those individually. Sure. They're all fantastic. But just collectively, um, the idea behind this also bringing up tattoos, man, Ohio State is so <laughs> angry right now. Let's just say that. But um, just bringing the, the, the ideas for this, we're starting to see it a lot more. Obviously, we have the Players' Tribune. They're doing a lot of different stuff. LeBron James has, I don't know, everything under the sun, it looks like. Kevin Durant started to do a little bit on his own as well. And we're mm -hmm. starting to see a lot of these athletes start to create their own media companies. Tom Brady, I think, is into it. Um, there's obviously a bunch more, but... With that, like the the opportunity to create these different series and look at different aspects of these athletes' lives, why did you think this would be such a hit the way it is? I mean, understanding, you know, have you gotten Sam Howell? You know, did you get, I mean, were you there with Joel Berry? I don't think you were there with Joel Berry. I, think I came the year after. after. I was going to say he yeah. was the year after. Um, you know, did you get uh, Cole Anthony? Like, are you getting these major, major, major athletes or is it more... A lot of the athletes, as you said, from the rowing team, like I've worked with U.S. rowing personally. Those athletes are incredible, but unfortunately, yeah. they're rowers and they're not going to get any of the limelight. That's just the way it is. So how do you kind of balance that? And how do you obviously you're shooting for Cole Anthony, but at the same time, I have to understand that that doesn't come as easily. I think one of the coolest things that we've noticed is that oftentimes the biggest factor is not how big of a following this athlete has. I mean, to a degree that's going to get you somewhere, but where our content really thrives is the authenticity behind it. So, you know, we've had pieces where, you know, people with on a lesser, less popular team with one sixth of the Instagram following do 10 times better than someone that had, you know, mm -hmm. six times more, like I said, uh, Instagram following just because they really put their voice behind it. So when we make content, we make shareable content. We, for these athletes, our strategic approach is that, we are a resource for these athletes that will push their own brand. Um, so to the degree that they choose to leverage that opportunity, that's up to them. And it's also up to their comfort level because a lot of these stories are really, really personal. So, you know, sometimes 
the biggest thing for them is just writing down, not really even sharing with anyone else. And that's super important to us as well, because we want them to get that opportunity. But I would say, you know, as much as they want to engage with the post and their readership, because when people are raw on social media, you get that outpouring of support. It's how much you want to interact with it and really, you know, use it as a brand building opportunity. So to your point, like we, on our first episode, we had Garrison Brooks on the uh, UNC basketball team, who is our, our star player. He's going to go to his senior year. Um, so he's not getting drafted right away. He was considering the draft, but we've had a ton of star athletes. Um, what we've recognized is that it's not necessarily what we need to strive for in order to get good content um, and content that's going to resonate. But we also did have Mac Brown. We had a, so right before quarantine, this was very, very cool for us. We had a target talk with Bubba Cunningham, our athletic director, Mac Brown, football coach, uh, Anson Dorrance, the women's soccer coach, and then Courtney Banghart, the women's basketball coach. Uh, all about um, student-athlete development and just the idea of making this a 40-year decision, not a four-year decision, where we're really developing for people, like recruiting for character and developing them for post-sport life. And that was, I think, our biggest, in terms of names, episode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's one guy that wasn't there, interestingly enough. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. sorry. Um, I just think it's, it's just so cool. How it's you good to have a lot to choose from. Yes. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> David Cutcliffe, man, come on. Um, no, I think, I think it's just so interesting. Like again, you know, being able to, and you've been doing it for a couple of years now. So just seeing, you know, as you said, seeing some of these names are starting to be like, okay, this is, this is legitimate. And then from, so as you said, it, it's more of a brand building tool for the athletes themselves than it is like a media company. It, it, like it, it's obviously it straddles that line. Where did that aspect of it come from? Was was that a conscious decision saying, hey, like we understand we could just put stuff out there and, you know, people could consume it or we can kind of angle it so that it's, you know, a, a greater pitch to the athletes, right? It's a lot easier if you say, hey, we're here to try and help you um, rather than just tell your story kind of thing. Like where did that Con was that a conscious decision or was that something you realized again with awareness over time? I think more the latter. And I want to backtrack it a little bit um, yep. and then add some additional context. So for us, I think when we had this initial idea, it was just to cover lifestyle content and things outside of the sport coming from Long Island, New York in a pro sports bubble. I wasn't really privy to what goes on in college athletics and more so kind of the politics behind everything and those interpersonal relationships. And like you said, been doing on cut for about two years now. I started right when I got on campus. So thrown right into the fire. And as we were trying to validate this idea and just asking student athletes if they'd be down to hop on an episode like this, it just it opened the floodgates to a ton of emotion. And just asking the question of anything outside of, you know, behind the statue caused them to open up and we realized the mental health intersection. And that shifted everything that we did. Um, in terms of our decision making. So our team, our founding team was comprised, I should have mentioned this earlier, we had two student athletes out of five, two of the five on our founding team were student athletes. About a third of our total team are student athletes. So one, it's so crucial for us to have student athletes involved at every point in the decision making process, but it also makes so, makes athletes way more comfortable to open up to us and be raw with us because these are, you know, these are their peers. Um, and they're going to be way more willing to tell a personal story to their friend than they would, you know, a reporter that they've never met yet and they don't know what they're going to do with their story. So in terms of us creating that content, I think it really, it came out of a genuine desire to support these athletes mm -hmm. uh, and give them content to push their story. It was never to build our own platform that kind of just came naturally from it, but we are a hundred percent mission driven. So we're, we're a 501c3 nonprofit and the goal is always, let's just, let's do something really cool on campus that will outlive us and really make a difference. Because at the end of the day, I mean, to your point about this trend taking off in sports, the goal is that we're never needed. Um, and I think that's probably the goal with almost any charitable, you know, community, socially driven organization. The goal is that your problem is fixed and that we don't need you anymore. And that that's the same with us as well. Well, hopefully you guys can eradicate it because it's uh, it's going to be a tall task, but I yeah. know you guys for at least trying. I think that's pretty impressive. And then again, going, going to the, the, I didn't realize it was a 501c3. I think that part's pretty fantastic. So that, that might be a, a bigger part of the conversation as well. But one thing that I, I don't want to forget and bring up as well with the name image likeness stuff that's going on. I mean, how anybody can say that student athletes shouldn't be able to use their own name, image and likeness, I still can't understand the argument. I really kind of have tuned it all out because I think it's just ridiculous how you can tell me 
that I can't use my name because I go to school here makes no sense. I understand not paying players. Okay. You pay them in scholarships. Sure thing. Sure thing. But um, at least the name image likeness thing, I feel like there is zero uh, argument against it. How, what are you, are you, is that a big emphasis for you guys moving forward? Is that something that you're, I mean, obviously you have to look at it, especially being at a gigantic school like UNC. What are you doing around the NIL stuff to support the athletes, to support yourselves, to support the charity that could, again, just push all of this even further forward? So for us, I mean, on a personal note, I, I'm i a little bearish on what the NCAA is going to do there. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's kind of reasonable seeming their history. But I think where we see the biggest benefit to student athletes is something that we've had in the past where we've worked with a ton of athletes that are artists. And like I said, we're a resource to their own brand. So we would love if, you know, they're doing this work on the side to help promote their work and push their work and create opportunities, whether, you know, if we're going to look at art as an example, a showcase for these student athletes where we, where we bring people together, important people that can actually look at their artwork and see how incredible they are as people. That's something that we can't do under the current circumstances. And that's something that would be allowed under NIL. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's as much as, you know, let's pay these student athletes um, for us and kind of give them opportunities to the extent that we can, you know, also help fund ourselves with different sponsorship opportunities um, and devote more resources to helping these student athletes. We will. But I think the biggest thing is those indirect benefits where we can help uplift student athlete brands and the work that they're doing, because, you know, as a, as a separate organization, we are limited right now outside of just covering their story. Yeah. And that's, that's more of what I was talking about. The latter. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think you guys should have to pay the athletes. <laughs> right. Like that's yeah. really cool. like how, like more so, I guess the conversation, uh, the, the question should have been how much I know it's already an Avenue. It is a vehicle for athletes to start to, you know, extra way to brand themselves, but moving forward now, once this NIL stuff hits, like how much more can you really start to do to help the rowers, right? Like, again, I worked with us rowing. I understand what those poor guys and girls go through putting the, you know, doing as much work, you know, we, they have to wake up at like ungodly hours to get on the water because wind and all that stuff. I don't really understand how weather works, but <laughs> under like do, using your platform to push forward, I understand it is a nonprofit, but how much more do you think you can raise now understanding the NIL benefits, understanding that if you can get some of these bigger athletes involved, get some of these sponsorships involved and then push that to the charity. I mean, like it's such a huge, huge opportunity for you guys. I think it's incredible. No, 100%. I mean, you hit the nail on the head right there. It's with any of this, the more resource that we have, the more we can devote to helping these athletes. And like I said, going a little earlier back, it's, you know, growing content is compelling. If it's wrong, doesn't matter what sport it is. Rowing is just one example. Um, but I think as the more resources that we can devote is like we are, we're a startup, we're a student-led startup, and we're as scrappy as it gets. We're, we're going to borrow our equipment until we can get our own equipment. So like I said, any resources, any additional resources that we can add to you know our side of things will make it that much easier uh, for us to cover these stories and produce them at a faster rate. Um, luckily for us, in terms of COVID, we don't rely on game content, but I think that also brings in the surrounding interest on sports. If, if they're in season, there's more interest and more of a spotlight. Maybe you can have more of an impact. So, you know, we're luckily being able to still produce content in this time. Um, but, you know, we would love for sports to be back. And also just these athletes, mental health perspective, it's a big part of their identity and what they're passionate about. They would love sports to be back, obviously, in a, in a way that everyone's also comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, and, and I think again, for what you guys are doing, kind of the behind the scenes, it's, there's now way more stories, right? Like there's so yeah. many more athletes that are doing things that they've never done before or are just looking away to fill the time around, you know, it's, 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 it's great. It's bad. You know, there's positives and negatives to everything I think. So um, more stories can potentially come out of this, whether it can positive or negative, but as you said, they're going to be raw, they're going to be real. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be really easy to connect with everybody on planet earth. Now understanding that for like at least a minimum of two months, I don't know about you, but I pretty much didn't leave my house <laughs> it started to be warm out. I can at least go outside, but it, it got a, it got a little crazy there for a second. So I think that part's pretty important. And so with, with these projects, so you have the Tar Heel talk, uh, you have behind the Jersey, I've been written down and then clean slate, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yes. What is that? Is that, are those dogs by any chance? Oh, I'm sorry. If you're, yeah, that's my dog from downstairs. What's his name? It's Iggy, uh, Wheaton Iggy. Terrier. 
What's yes. up, Biggie? Um, so with <laughs> of these, uh, which I guess which one came first? Which one of these was the initial and the inaugural piece of content that you were then able to start to spread your wings a little bit more and really start to get um some more traction with this stuff? Yeah. So the first thing that we filmed um, and the first idea that came about was the Tar Heel Talk. So we filmed an episode with Jake Lawler, who's one of our co-founding members on the football team, Garrison Brooks on the basketball team, Veronica Pinto on the women's soccer team, and Michael Carter, the running back on the football team. And it was all about stereotypes of being a black athlete on campus, which is as relevant as it comes right now. Um, mm -hmm. And we're actually repurposing a lot of that content now to keep and just keep pushing that message and keep pushing that narrative. But for us, I mean, that was, like I said, with Tar Heel Talks and just that idea of it being completely unscripted and live, you know, we had a general idea of what it was going to look like, but all the legwork that went into it and getting these four athletes together on a, you know, on a Saturday, getting reporters to come in and, you know, watch it and turn it into a big setup for us as students. We had like an eight person camera crew with different cameras. I don't do any camera work, but I had to stand there making sure it stayed on, which was a big responsibility for me. Um, but just seeing that all come together, I think like for us, it was, we hit the camera, we, we started it and then we didn't really also, we didn't plan for how to stop it because it was just live content. Whenever the conversation like kind of ended, we we're going to end it. And once it came to a natural close, we just kind of stood there. Like we didn't know what to do because we just worked on this for six to eight months. Um, and now it finally happened. So we just clapped. And like at the end of the episode, it's just us clapping and it was just a raw, a raw clap. Like we didn't, we didn't know what else to do. Um, and I think at that point we realized like, this is real. Uh, we have content. So that we filmed, we filmed that back in April of 2019 and then released it at our premiere event um, in September of that same year. So there was a big gap. Uh, we filmed that in the semester before and our, you know, our strategy was just, let's get as much content as possible so we can have something to sustain ourselves as we get back on campus. Now we obviously learned there's a lot of ways to create content over the summer when we are all remote, which is a benefit of COVID times, um, a good challenge out of that. But yeah, that was the first one. And then, like I said, with Clean Slate has become our, our driver of viewership. And that was, I mean, that was probably, outside of the podcast, that was the last one that came uh, for us. And it wasn't really something that we intended to be big. I personally didn't think people would sit down and read these long form pieces. Um, but it's as, as much as athletes want to write, people will read because it's raw and real and they have a personal connection with these people. And and with with the writing aspect of it, it's always nice you know, how, how do you find an athlete that has a compelling, a lot of people have compelling stories. Some people just suck at telling them, like, how, how do you find the athlete that has also the ability to use a pen, to use a, a keyboard and really be able to convey the, like, cause I can talk to some people and be like, your story is incredible. And then I can read some of their stuff and it's terrible or even vice versa. They can send me an email. I'm just like, this sounds amazing. And then we start talking. I'm just like, dude, I need charisma. I need energy. Like, let's go. So how do you find that particular athlete to make sure that not only is their story amazing, but they can convey it in a way that people are going to want to read it. Yeah. And I think that's where our talented writing team comes in. And a lot of that is the legwork that goes in behind the scenes before they even start writing. When it's those initial conversations of like, let's, let's get to know each other personally. Cause these, these are, you know, writers may apply to be writers, but they're more editors at the end of the day. You know, they're editing their story, but they're also just people, people like they're trying to discuss with these athletes, learn who they are as a person. Um, and, understand their stories and then figure out together collaboratively how we can best convey that that message. So I think a lot of those issues that might come into play are handled just by collaborative effort and structuring it. And then when it comes down to like diction, syntax, those are easier things you can fix down the line. Um, but I think, so the way we really produce content is it's way more driven by the athlete. So we don't try to fish out athletes and try to, you know, ask them, Hey, we heard this rumor. Can you talk about it? That's not how we approach it. We, we built up when we worked hard to do it, a real campus presence where athletes know that we exist, where they, if they have a story, we are the outlet for them to tell. Them. And at that point, you know, if an athlete is going to come to us, they likely have that story. They probably thought about it way too many times. Um, and they, they need to release it in some way. And it usually just comes out. I think it's incredible, man. It sounds like you guys just kind of, rebuilt like the players tribute uninterrupted uninterrupted that was the one that i <laughs> on james's and on all these companies i just think it is so freaking cool and so what what have you seen what have the responses from the athletes been like how have you seen them like be grateful or or just be happy that they've been able to share their story and then affect other people what what are some of those stories that you've seen so far yeah i think 
it's two pronged. It's one on one side, it changes how the athlete sees themselves, um, which is huge. Yeah. Then on the other side, it changes how their peers view them. So immediately, you know, these athletes will be seen as a leader on their team because they had the courage to open up and to to be real. So we've had stories where, you know, one athlete comes out and they've had a ton of their teammates are coming to them and you know, opening up about different stories. And that's not some like how our stories have come out through just referrals in that way. Um, so I think it's it's been the start of something for a lot of these athletes. It's the first time a lot of them really branching out publicly. A lot of them are doing crazy, amazing things behind the scenes, um, but really just behind that athlete identity. And this is a way to, to kind of push them outside that and be comfortable being themselves. And I think it's really resonated with not just like the athletic community, but you know, you're, you're coming out there, you're showing yourself to the entire campus, uh, to your, to all your peers and it shows. So we've seen a lot of athletes be super, super grateful for the opportunity. We've tried to stay in touch with them as best as we can, because again, we're friends at the end of the day. Um, and then if, if they want to come back and do other pieces of content, that is always welcome. That's awesome, man. That is fantastic. Getting, I, I like the aspect that you said, like they, feel better about like they they get the intrinsic you know they get that exactly. value that comes with it but then also the fact that they're able to help other people probably don't know you know you know they're they're, they're planting seeds that they're never going to water but someone else you know was able to take advantage of that and do something with it do something with their content i think that part is just just absolutely incredible and i mean man you're you're, you're killing it everything but unc i mean what are some of the other uh, other ideas that you got i, mean, I you got you have You've had like four or five months to think of some other stuff, Alex. What uh, what what's coming down the pipeline? What do we got? Um, I mean, personal project. I want to learn how to code. That's Ooh. that's next on my personal agenda. A little bit. Um, yeah. Um, how I've been spending quarantine is I've tried to just shore up on those like hard skills. Um, for me, especially, I don't I don't do any of the content stuff, but I like to be versatile or at least know what's possible. So like trying to shore up my skills on Adobe platforms. I just finished learning After Effects. I'm not creative enough to make the motion graphics, but at least now I know how they're made and I can one, better appreciate them, but two, maybe get better suggestions. So for me, that was always a point of emphasis. How can I be more versatile um, in my skill set, even if it's something that's outside of what I'm doing on a day-to-day? And up next for me would be coding. Um, I've been pushing that off as long as I can because I'm not that excited about it, but maybe dip my toes in there a little bit. More power to you, man. More power to you. I, I took a coding class in community college and it was not something that I ever enjoyed and never, ever plan on doing again. But Alex, this was this was absolutely fantastic. Anything else? Anything else you want to chat about? I think I had a blast. Yeah, I mean, I had a great time. I do want to plug your book uh, oh, for a second. Alex, well, no. I mean, we got we to gotta start the hype train early. I know it's coming out in December, yep, um, yep. but it seems like it's a, it's a product of a lot of these conversations yep. and that's super awesome to... One, just, you know, being a fan of your work, just seeing you repurpose that and compile it to something that's, you know, something that's really, really tangible um, outside of just the tens of conversations that you've had, something that's standalone and really is a representation of that hard work. I think it's super awesome. Thank you. I sincerely do appreciate that. Um, Yep, we're in the raising money phase right now. So anybody out there listening, sincerely, even a dollar helps. Uh, we have a pretty lofty goal, but I just sent a couple text messages last night to my friends and found out that I have some really frigging good friends. So I'm very grateful for all of them. And thank you for plugging it. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I do appreciate that, man. Yeah, it's it's a lot of these conversations that I've had with some incredibly high level people that, you know, hey, you reach out and say, hey, I'm writing a book. Do you want to be in it? Some impressive people are going to say yes. So I'm very grateful mm-hmm. for that. So it's it's been fantastic. And yeah, I mean, I've had so many of these conversations. It's almost impossible. I mean, it's obviously possible, but it's almost impossible for someone to listen to every single one of them at this point, considering they're coming out almost one a day. Um, I think my goal originally for the year was to do 200 interviews. And I think I've already surpassed that. And it's only July. So we have more time. That means, you know, now the next goal is 365. I think if we can do 365 uh, in 365, that would be pretty damn cool. So about halfway there. So we'll see what happens, but it should be fun. But yeah, man, it's an absolute blast. I hope people get something from it. It's coming out in December. Still working with some editors. I honestly don't even know what the name of the thing is yet. I think I've given it like four different names. Whatever. Get you got job. time. You got time. Exactly. I'm not worried about it. That's what editors are for, right? As you were saying. Exactly. Before. That's what editors are for. <laughs> Alex, man, this has been absolutely fantastic. Oh, one last thing. Um, I did read to the end of your LinkedIn page and found out that you spent a month in Wyoming. Yeah. <laughs> What's up with that, man? Why? Why would you do that to yourself? That sounds terrible. So one of the biggest reasons why I came to UNC was the scholarship program that I was fortunate enough to get, which is called the Morgan Cain Scholarship. And the way I saw it is 
they were going to force me to do these things that are outside of my comfort zone that I otherwise would not have done myself. And that was the first one. So like three days after my high school graduation, I was shipped out to Wyoming. Um, so without a phone, tossed in the woods, um, which I guess a great quarantine activity now uh, with everything. But that was, I mean, that was wild. Like I was, when I held my phone after that, I mean, like, so I remember um, we, we got no news while we were there. And that was the summer when LeBron went to the Lakers. So we heard from through hikers that LeBron halfway through the trip that he went to the Lakers and that lasted, that spanned our entire discussions for the next two weeks after that. So once we heard about LeBron James, we heard about, uh, I think, DeAndre Jordan, the Kawhi trade. Um, and that was all we talked about for two weeks after that. So it was an incredible experience. I would never do it again. Um, ton of mosquitoes. But like, you know, to get something, you know, when you go on a camping trip and you just kind of, you drive up there, maybe you hike in a little bit, you get to see some stuff. When you're spending a week just hiking into the woods, the views that you get, I mean, it's, it's priceless. So I'm so grateful I had that opportunity and I'm grateful I did it when I did, because if I had to block out a month of my life to just go AWOL, I don't know if I can do that right now. Um, so it was, it was a hell of a time, man. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I think it's incredible. I'm, I mean, I love being outside. I don't think I could spend a week in the, uh, like five days in the woods, let alone 30 days in the, in the Wyoming wilderness. That's not quite the woods here in New Jersey. So uh, a little, <laughs> little different out there, but man, I think that is absolutely incredible and kudos to you for doing it. You're right. You did it at the perfect time. Uh, Cause that senior summer, while it was my favorite summer I ever had, I also did nothing that entire time. <laughs> Took advantage of it, found a little bit about yourself. And uh, yeah, that must've been a pretty cool conversation, that whole LeBron James thing, but that's pretty funny way to find it out. Funny way to find mm -hmm. it. Alex Mazer, COO and co-founder at Uncut, president and co-founder of Carolina Sports Administration Club. Sincerely, sincerely appreciate your time today, man. Thank you. Great to be on.